Oh, for those of us who have been on this 15, 16 week journey now of searching the depths of how it is that we build a firm foundation in our faith, we only have two more with this today and then the 25th. And then uh, we're gonna move on in July. We have a special uh, 4th of July week service, a special worship guest with us that day. And um, I wanna encourage you to invite your friends and neighbors and those visiting the, the Plateau to church that day. And then we move into our Freedom in Christ series. So if, you've not, if you need some of the faith and action sheets that we've been passing out, hard copies are in the back for every message we've done and today, this one is entitled Eternally. And I'm gonna be looking at, first of all, 2 Kings chapter seven, um, verse one and following. This is an interesting thing. Have any of you ever studied siege warfare? Like, just for fun? Like, as a hobby? Um, siege warfare, uh, back in the day here, that we're looking at was... Uh, one of the most barbaric, horrific means of which coming against an enemy mimics a lot of what you see in uh, the Holocaust, but it's even worse. And we're gonna take a look at an account in the scripture about that in Second Kings uh, to set us up to look at heaven itself. But siege warfare, the way it goes is uh, uh, the town is under siege. They're a walled-in city and the enemy has surrounded the city, cut off all supplies. Debatable whether they have fresh water. They have no help, no allies, no one to help them at present. And the enemy just sits outside the city out of arrow range and enjoys themselves while those in the city starve to death. The Book of Lamentations Verse three, verse 20, 21 is quoted often. God's faithfulness is new every morning. Uh, that comes out of a siege warfare where Jeremiah is actually saying in the midst of Israelites literally having to eat their own children as they pass to survive. He says, God's mercies are new every morning. You thought you had a bad week. So we have this siege warfare going on and then these lepers, they're part of the mix too. Uh, the lepers can't go in the city because they're not allowed to, don't know they'd really want to anyway, there's nothing in there for them. If they stay outside the city, they're just gonna die anyway. So they make the decision, I'm gonna go to the enemy camp. They kill us, fine, we're gonna die either way, but maybe something good can come out of it. That's their logic. It says, Elijah replied, this is a prophecy about the whole thing before it happens. Elijah replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a siha of finest flour, that's about 12 pounds of flour, will sell for a shekel and two sihas, 24 pounds of barley, for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. In other words, he's saying that the hyperinflation that we're experiencing today will not exist tomorrow. The prices will drop by morning. And they're looking at him like, are you serious? The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elijah. 
but you will not eat any of it. In other words, he's prophesying that this guy who's got a bad attitude won't be alive this time tomorrow. Siege warfare, inhumane, no question about it. It's disgusting. It is a gutless, sick, pathological stunt to take a group of people and barricade them in their own city, use their own walls as their own enemy, and watch their children perish while listening to the groans and screams of hunger and listlessness. A slow, agonizing war of attrition against even toddlers and babies. It is a constricting warfare that suffocates a city with an enemy like a noose around it, not letting anyone in or anyone out, where people's bodies are emaciated, their minds are fogged, their vision is blurred, they're emaciated with no vitality, and the suffocation of all hope, they just sit in their own neighborhoods and wait for imminent death. It is a ruthless, demonic desire to see people suffer. A horrific, horrendous waiting on imminent dread. And you can do nothing about it. Even the rats in the city become listless and hungry and have to find more fertile ground. Pets, feral dogs, no longer linger in the alleys. They just temporarily lay in the streets. Few to any birds are present in a city under siege until the carcasses begin to show up. People will barricade themselves in their homes for a season, hoarding what little they have, hoping something will, will pass. At first, the prices are inflated. Hyperinflation follows, and then it skyrockets until the only remaining currency is food. Mental listlessness drifting in and out of awareness, people half asleep in the middle of the afternoon, and their bodies are feeding on their own organs and flesh. The vibrant sounds of the city yield to a dull, quiet murmur. People lack the energy to even cry for help. There's no longer a reason to do so. There is zero capacity to render aid to one another. The desire to live makes way to a heavy abiding emptiness and a desire likely to die. And when the stench of death comes, maybe someone has heard, maybe someone has got a message, maybe there's one last hope. And in the middle of all this, the prophet, the man of God, prophesies that inflation will go away by nine o'clock in the morning. What a bold statement. The lepers. Infected, sick people, unclean to everyone, wanted by no one between two worlds, unwelcome in either one, all alone, ostracized, only having each other, and they're under siege in their own way. Their body is deteriorating. They're misunderstood, they're thought to be demonized, and they're thought to be deserving of their lot in life. They're racked with pain and their grotesque decay and their horrific decomposition. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate under siege. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die. 
And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. You ever felt like that? Nothing you could do would work out. You had it all figured out. Nothing seems to be a good option. It's a no-win situation. So they head to the Aramean camp. And when they entered the camp, they entered into a whole new realm. What they saw was the most bountiful, chock-full, plentiful, delightful, beautiful sight they had ever seen in their entire life, or even imagined for that matter. They saw bags and bags and bags of beans and lentils and barley and wheat and flour. They were literally celebrating with their grotesque limbs, dipping them into the bags and throwing the beans up in the air and laughing and yelling and celebrating because their choice had profited them. The camp was empty. Not a soldier was there. Just this bounty. Black-eyed peas falling in the backs of their shirts, jumping up and down, screaming, can you believe this? These homeless lepers that didn't even have floors were, were walking over edible food on the floor of the camp of the Arameans. There was excess trampled under their feet as they danced in celebration. In the city, they had no running water. But in the Aramean camp, they had a chocolate fountain and a two-sided buffet. They had linen napkins that were better than the clothes that they wore. Pomegranates, almonds, cheeses, fresh breads, croissants, flavored cream cheeses, smoked salmon, and fresh warm bagels. Just beside the glazed donuts with the hot sign on. Yogurts and blueberries and raspberries and granola. Where do you start? Banana slices. They had Vermont maple syrup. Danishes. Oh, one of them noticed the soft ice cream machine next to the Belgian waffles with the strawberries bigger than a Titleist Pro V1. They were beside themselves. They hadn't even taken into inventory and taken into consideration the eggs Benedict with the holiday sauce and the cracked pepper, the cat head biscuits and the real soft butter, real butter, the sausage gravy and the chicken that was oh so tender with just the right scold on the outside of the skin, the roasted lamb, the flayed beef, the quail, pheasant, smoked salmon, the spices, saffron, cumin, oregano and mint the various dressings and peppers and pickled dills, the battery-operated salt and pepper shakers. They laughed at one another. They couldn't know where to push the button. And the hot-roasted Middle Eastern espresso still wafting through the camp. And there they were. Wherever they could, in any storeroom they could get to, in any tent in the camp, looking for the Tupperware to seal up this bounty, schlepping it into the woods, digging holes so they could retrieve it later, 
this incredible discovery of the greatest bounty of food ever known to man in the backdrop of a city that could be seen on the hill that was dying, literally dying. For everything they saw and took in, for every minute that went by, another child or teenager or mother or father perished. Stop, one of them says, stop. Wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, 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 stop. Verse nine, then they said to each other, what we're doing, what we're doing is not right. It's just not right. It's just not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. What a flip, what a flop to move from literal ecstasy to conviction, comfort and convenience to conviction, restfulness, no worries, no anxiety, total peace, a sense of security, a sense of a provision, a sense of being taken care of, of having a future longer than a week all of a sudden. A week was a long time for them to plan. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves, he says. If we wait, if we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. In other words, we can't even wait overnight. We can't do this anymore. We've been doing it long enough. They just got there. It was long enough. Let's go, he says. Let's get out of here at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a soul. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were, just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I'll tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving. So they've left the camp to hide in the countryside thinking they will surely come out and when they, when they do, we'll take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all the Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan as far, and found the whole road strewn with clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. The people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seah of fl finest flour sold for a shekel and only two seahs of barley sold for a shekel. And the Lord, as the Lord had said, I don't know your situation. And for some of you, I do know your situation. And it may look like there's not an out. 
And there's absolutely no reason to expect an overnight turnaround. But it's possible. With God, all things are possible. Hope, hold on to it. When everything you see says something different, listen. If I've said it five times, I've said it 15 in the last four weeks. A blind man has a greater sense of listening than we do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. Close your eyes and open your ears and listen to the voice of God. You'll get the true story of what's about to go down. I don't know if you're aware of this, but as of, according to Ascent Research, in 2021, the average annual mean income of an American in the United States of America was $70,000. Interesting. The same average annual mean income of everyone outside of the United States in 2021 was an annual income of $2,800. If someone around the world, on average, has a dollar, an American has 25. Someone around the world has $10, we have 250. Someone has $100, we have 2,500. Someone has $1,000, we have $25,000. Someone has $10,000, we have a quarter million dollars. We have 25 times more money than anyone when you average. There are 7.9 billion people in the world, and I would say that many in this sanctuary today, and there's nothing wrong with saying this, nothing wrong with it, are in the top 2.9% of global wage earners. Let me say that again. There are nearly 8 billion people on this earth and there are a, probably a majority of people in this room right now and listening online, they're among the 2.9% richest people in the world. If you make a million dollars a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners. You make $100,000 a year, you're in the top 10%. I am in the top, I, I gotta think about this. I personally, my household is in the top 10% of wage earners in the entire globe. For that matter, the entire Milky Way. This congregation probably sets and finds itself somewhere in the top 5% of wage earners on the entire planet Earth, right here. Let's forget about money for a second. It's not the point of this message, for sure. 
no matter how much we have, no matter how much we've invested, no matter how much we saved, when it comes to heaven, we have one thing in common. We enter it as paupers, lepers, hungry and without. We're dead broke in that physical sense. But we have good news. We have good news. The most important news ever, ever, ever. We have good news. It is the most priceless, precious news that makes the difference between being emaciated, hungry, lonely, disenfranchised, perishing, and eating, one's body eating on oneself, feeding on oneself. It is more precious than hopelessness and despair and groans and death and horrific, horrendous. Put it this way, the war on the world that is without Christ right now is a siege warfare that is attacking the globe and letting people perish and wallow in their own self-sufficiency. Walled off from the best news ever that they could hear. Walled off from the greatest provider they could ever think about who has a greater purpose and, and mission for them. And the least likely people in their life, the lepers, the people they see as lepers, are the ones who bring the greatest news possible. That would be like the top 5% of wage earners in the entire globe of nearly 8 billion people keeping everything they have to themselves should they not share their bounty. And we are richer than them. And we must ask the question, are we hoarding for ourselves the good news of Jesus Christ? And I'm afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm correct, that the answer to that question is more often than not, yes. Yes, we are. How do I know that? Because I know that in this century, at this time, in the countries of the world today, there is a greater gospel famine now than any other day I've been alive. And we must ask ourselves the question as we throw our beans and lentils up in the air. Is this good? Or are there things for us to do? Are there things for us to share? Forget money, to whom much has been given. This is a reason, here's a reason not to come to this church. This is a reason why you should not come to CBC. You're gonna get the truth. You're gonna get it at more than a superficial level. You're not gonna get any favoritism. You're gonna get told just like it is, and you're going to receive that time and time and time again. What's the problem with that? Well, while you're receiving, while you're accumulating, while you're processing, 
Message after message after message. There's a, there's a dull little wisp of a secret voice out there getting louder and louder and louder. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. I know, as do you, the anxiety exists to live from paycheck to paycheck and raise a family. I've been there, and it is not fun. My prayer, heartfelt prayer, is that there is an also an equally potent anxiety that ever grows in the body of Christ whenever we withhold from people the riches that they need from us, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it cause you anxiety. If you do not want to do squat with your walk with Christ, make a difference in the the remaining years of your life, go to another church. You will be far more comfortable than you are here. I'm telling you, you will become increasingly convicted by the Spirit of God. And that has nothing to do with money and everything to do with sitting on a bag of beans, looking at one another and not saying, this is not good. There's a... There's a gospel famine. People are starving. Women are being treated like objects and possessions in a majority of countries in the world, in the Middle East. They're crying out for some hope behind their walled neighborhoods and homes. Please help us, please help us, please help us. They're crawling over the border. Please tell me how I endure this. Please tell me how I overcome this. Empty, spiritually emaciated people hoping maybe tomorrow the prophecy may come true. And until the walls come down in their closed country, they're wanting to know with the people who have the richest spiritual bank accounts in the world if there's something they could do to encourage them. There are people in your lives who are walking dead men and dead women, shells of who they could be. Look into their eyes, nothing's there. Their conversation is as superficial as it can possibly be. The weather has depth to them. They have no purpose, no mission. They have no idea of the riches of the bounty of what it is to be in Christ, a child of the living God. To have access to wisdom, encouragement, insight, anointing, giftedness, purpose, mission, resolve. It's all right there. The total package. Look at your business. It may not be right to continue not to sow into the kingdom. Look at your workers, your, your, your laborers. It may not be right not to pray over them. Lay hands on them. Share the gospel with them. Look at the people in your life. It may not be right.
Heaven is euphoric. It is um, the quintessential fullness of of love. And, And it has something that no one here in this room has experienced as of yet. Maybe momentarily, maybe, maybe just for a moment, maybe just for 30 seconds, but it's timeless and it's, it's without sin. I, I don't know that we have the wherewithal to understand that it, there's no sin there. There's no bitterness, there's no grief, there's no anger, there's no unforgiveness, there's no, there's no um, unresolved problems, there's no conflict, there's no fights, there's no bickering. It, it's... Um, it's a whole other realm. It's a whole other camp. It's a whole other way. It's a whole other perspective that longs for us to be there. But yet momentarily for us, it's here. We have access to this realm. If we, if we so, de- so desire to eagerly seek him and come boldly to the throne of grace. If we really do want to wait in the presence of the Lord. If you, you want the end of your bed to be that sanctuary or that, that place, that mountain, that log you sit on, that rock you walk over to, that trail you're on, where you're intimately connected with God and nothing else. It's that way every second of every day. And it lasts a long, long, long time. How, I'm asking myself this question as I'm looking at this passage and I'm looking at my own self now, my own self. How bent am I? How twisted up am I? To withhold from others the riches that I have in Christ. How, how twisted am I? I mean, it's not good to stay there. It's not good. Some people, here's, this is for your sheets now, you sheet, you sheet people. Some people are just walled in. And you know what? If I was part of 25% of the population that was abused verbally, sexually, or physically, I guess I'd be walled in too. My spouse cheated on me and betrayed me and left me for nothing. I guess I'd wall in my heart too. If I got burned on a business deal and had to restart myself in the last stages of my life, I'd probably wall around my heart too. If I have something in my life I can't seem to get rid of or a sickness of some kind and someone keeps praying for me and you almost just want to say, hey, listen, let's just, let's just let it go. I don't want to be disappointed. I just want to wall off my heart. And eventually we wall it off to God. We don't let them in. You know, when your last resort doesn't come through for you, then what do you have? Butkus, you got nothing. So let's wait on him. Keep ourselves from being disappointed. A lot of people are walled in and seemingly have no options. Some people just feel like they're caught in the middle. Caught in the middle, caught in the middle.
Can you imagine what it feels like to be the 12 or 13 people in the United States of America that are going to decide our presidential election? <laughs> That's about how many there are in the middle. Sometimes people feel misunderstood like lepers. And some people just do not hear the word of the Lord, let alone heed it. And some people hear the word of the Lord, but quickly dismiss it due to what they see, due to sight. Yes, inflation can cost us from enjoying essentials. I get that. But I also know that God has a pretty good supply chain. Often we need to solve problems using logic like these guys did. Had they not, many people would have perished. And what a difference a day can make. One day we can be famished and another full to the brim. If you came here today famished, you came here today and you didn't want to come here today. You came here today and someone carried you here. Like carried you here. Like the last place you thought you'd be today was in a church and someone carried you over here. Like a paralytic on a mat and lowered you down through the roof. Someone carried you here today? You know why? Because they care about you. Look at them. They're pale as a ghost right now. Wondering how many times I've offended you in the last 25 minutes. But truth, friend, hey friend, truth, truth can do that. Truth sometimes should do that. The word of God is penetrating. It divides even soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it penetrates, penetrates who we are deep down in our heart. Enjoy and celebrate the blessings of God always. Many of us in here today are prosperous because we worked hard and we worked smart. We should be prosperous. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's God's blessing, God's approval, God's blessing on your obedience and your love for Him. Don't ever be ashamed of that. Put it this way some of us are in the top three, four, five, six percent of wage earners in the entire Milky Way. Think for a second. Just statistically think about this, ponder this. What responsibility does that possibly have on us in light of such numbers? And why, of all people on earth, are we in this situation, in this place, at this time, in this country, with our freedoms, with our rights? Surely there's a purpose. No one, absolutely no one in this sanctuary is here because someone didn't invest in you spiritually. 
Somebody did something along the way. Prayer, teaching, sharing, counsel, listening to you, loving you unconditionally, inviting you to church. Something outside yourself, outside your walled siege city got to you in your heart and pulled you one step, even one iota closer to Christ, and look where you are now. Now think of the rest of the world in need of somebody to lead their siege, get them out of their siege warfare and pull them out. You're gonna hear plans, global mission plans in the summer of this year, that some of which are incredibly aggressive others of which are not, but every one of which is necessary. I'll tell you that. Sometimes what we are doing is right, but not as right as it could be. And it's never wrong to do the right thing. I've had a really good week. And I'm going to share something anonymously about somebody that said something to me over lunch, and I hope they don't get upset with me because I'm not going to mention their name. I'm overwhelmed uh, this week by the uh, amount of people that I've interacted with that were here last Sunday who are thinking, now thinking and intentionally thinking and attending a workshop, I might add, on the subject of generosity. I was eating lunch at uh, one of the clubs here in, in, uh, on the mountain, and someone walks up to me and goes, generosity, generosity, generosity. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I must have really come on strong. <laughs> he goes, I'm doing it. He scared the tar out of me. Another guy was, I love this guy. He was sitting in a pew last Sunday, you know. Earlier that week, he, he, he encountered a young man who wanted to take up golf but didn't have golf clubs. So out of the kindness of his heart, he went home and he got a, a driver and a putter and gave them to this kid with no golf clubs, no golf bag. Kind of as a start, you know, the kid can get started now. Never mind the fact the kid is in his 20s and it's, in 20 years he's never got anything more not a bag or a club, but now he has two clubs and no bag. At this rate, he's going to be a scratch golfer at 150. <laughs> so he feels pretty good about himself. That's the way I read it anyway. And goes home, comes to church last Sunday, and he's sitting in the pew. And I don't know who it was here speaking last week, rattling on and on, droning on and on. And he wants to hit himself upside the head. He left the church, right after church, went directly home into his garage, picked up his second set of golf clubs and his golf bag, proceeded to go to the club and give them to the kid. Generosity. We all have this need to be generous. We do. God gives it to us because he meets needs in our life through our generosity. An absence of generosity from us as families. Does your family have a generosity plan? If not, why not? Do you have family meetings with your kids where you talk about who you're going to help in the world and 
Do you budget time for generosity and no other reason? Are you intentional about it? Generosity. We have a greater need to be generous than people have a need to receive. And I find this congregation, the people that I know well, are the most generous people I've ever met in my life. Their text messages are generous. Their handshake has a generosity to it, an authenticity. Their, their encouragement. Generosity. It's such a need. But we have to be, I'm going to use a word nobody in here likes. Liberal. But we have to be liberal with our generosity. We have to liberally live. We have, to, we have to be generous. Sit down this week and say, there's five people I'm gonna call, I don't know who they are yet, Lord tell me who they are and I'm just gonna be generous to these people and encourage them. Some kid in school somewhere, and sophomore year of XYZ University, your grandson, your neighbor, the guy down the street you can't stand, it doesn't matter. Get busy being generous. And believe me, you can scale the wall around their heart and you can get in there, just be generous. It doesn't have to be financial. In fact, I want to lay the truth on you here. Some of you, I'm glad you're sitting down. Some of your financial generosity, even in your families, ask yourself, was it a replacement for a generosity they needed more? Something called time. And did the absence of time create the need for money? Money can never be a replacement for our hearts. It has to be given out of our heart, but never a replacement for it. And certainly not a replacement for time. Revelation 4, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once. Oh my gosh, here it is. Here it is. At once. I was in the spirit. Translation, I don't know the last time you were in the spirit, but you saw things differently, you valued things differently, you appreciated things differently, and you worshiped differently. If 99% of your life is living in the flesh, you'll realize, as he did, in an instant, at once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had an appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated under them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These of the seven spirits of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear 
as crystal. What else would you put in front of a throne other than something that would be the greatest job of reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ in every solitary direction to every tribe and every language and every people group? What else would you put there? The radiant Shekinah glory of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's rich. Oh, that's rich. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's their ministry. They repeat that. Listen, they repeat that in earnest every second of every day. In earnest. I would even say, with the possibility of increased earnestness and increased authenticity with every articulation of holy, holy, holy. Discovering and beholding and taking in the grandeur and majesty and splendor of God, increasing the depth and the meaning with which they articulate every nuance of every word before the throne, and it only increases time and time and time again. And we think we know Jesus. To know Jesus is to realize it takes eternity, eternity, to truly appreciate him. We feel rich now. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Our comforts and pleasures here on earth have no comparison with Christ. It's ridiculous to even think about the comparison. There's nothing in or on this earth that compares with Christ. To see life here on this earth is equal to or greater to than our afterlife. If we fail to see that something is wrong, we fail to see. You have a testimony, you have the gospel, you have something. People are walled in in their own isolated prisons. And you yourself should be in a prison of your own. Constrained, walls around you, constrained by the love of Christ that compel you as a prisoner of Christ to share something with someone that builds them up. Truth. Why do these weird beings have eyes on the front and the back and their arms and under their arms? Why? Some of you are so ripe in the Lord. You've been taught and trained and discipled 
and you've grown and you've made mistakes like all of us have, you're so ripe for the next season of your life to be incredibly fruitful. But like those angelic beings, any direction you turn, any place you go, any person you meet with, you cannot take your eyes off the throne. You are a conduit of wisdom, blessing, love, understanding, grace, and mercy. Fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, and go minister to walled people who are feeding on their own organs and their own self-confidence, reading their self-help books, basking in the glory of their humanism, looking for some sort of answer until someone comes along who scales a wall and speaks down into them, it's okay. The cost of living on this earth is about to come down. And the debt you cannot pay is affordable. We found someone to pay it. It's okay, you can come out now. You can be free. We have for you eternal life in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here tonight who's just flat lost? Lost, call it like it is. You don't have Christ. It's, it's, it's just a reality. If you don't have Christ, that's it. I've been where you're at. And if you don't, you don't have forgiveness. This is a problem, you don't have redemption. This is a problem, you don't have a mission. This is a problem, you don't have a savior. You don't have what you were intended to have to live the life you were intended to live. And you simply have to invite him into your life to have this eternity of which I speak. It doesn't make you bad. We're all bad. We all have a righteousness about as equal to a filthy, oily rag apart from Christ. You're here today and you don't have him and you want him, raise your hand. We pray for you. Let's, do, let's make a proactive move towards changing your reality. Is that you? Think about that. But for a moment, process the fire hose of water that has just been doused on you for 30 minutes and worship the Lord in this song. And if you're apart from Christ, I'm gonna come back to you in a few minutes and invite you to receive him as your, oh my gosh, as your everything. He is what you've been looking for your entire life. Think on that.